All right, good morning. Hey, a um, couple things before we jump into Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can get ready to go to Genesis chapter 3. But um, one of the things that we've been working on as we prepare for a, a leadership transition over the next couple years is we're trying to think, okay, what, what do we need to get in order that uh, we haven't paid attention to for a while? And so one of those things is our bylaws, our church bylaws. So um, we've been working on those. We made some changes in them. And, um, and so what we'd like to do is make those available to you to look at. And if you have any comments or questions, you can let us know. And so there's a 30-day period of that. Um, church bylaws kind of govern the way that we are going to operate as a church. Most of the changes are um, changing terminology to what we call different positions, like my position. Used to be called senior pastor, now it's lead pastor. Okay, So that is like one of the main major impacts I've had in my tenure as lead pastor as I've changed the name. And so, you know, there you go. Um, uh, but there's some s- substantive things like uh, we, there was nothing in there regarding how do we go about um, editing or changing our doctrinal positions or adding to our doctrinal positions. And we've, we've done that, but we don't have that in our bylaws. And so we put a paragraph in there about how we do that. So this is a thing. If you're a member of Rolling Hills and you're interested in... Um, looking at those and giving us feedback. As soon as we're done today, you can go out and there's hard copies out at the center desk, or you can go online to rollinghills.org slash bylaws, okay? And we'll collect your input over the next 30 days, and then we will look at any edits or corrections we need to make in the bylaws, and then do a final vote on them, okay? So that's, that is that. All right, now, um, the other thing is uh, the Niners are on at noon, so let's pray. Um, no, um, and so God bless you if you are here and you like uh, you're, you're a major NFL fan, um, and for those of you who are at home watching because of the the games on and it conflicts with the gathering, then um, I expect to see you here next week. Okay, I'm here. Hello, and so uh, anyway, um, gonna be a fun day. Okay. Genesis. We're in chapter 3. If you know anything about the book of Genesis, chapter 3 is where all this good, good news goes back. You know, not all of it, but there's, there's a, the fall of humanity happens in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 1 is about God created. And in doing so, we found out that he uh, created this beautiful universe and this beautiful earth. And it's not about uh, the how, it's about who and why, and uh, we learn a lot about God and as he reveals himself to us. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's self-existent. He is transcendent, and he's also imminent. He's personal. He cares, and he did, and he, this creation was for um, his creation to enjoy being in relationship with him, and, um, and he offers to uh, walk alongside and to include his creation in his, in his work of bringing glory to himself, not because he has a poor self-image, but because that would be the best thing for, for all. And then Genesis chapter 2 um, is, is the climax of the creation, which is his creation of humanity. It says male and female, he created them in his own image. And so humanity, you and I, were specially created by God to reflect him, 
to be his image bearers. That is unique compared to all other creation. And we are to have this unique, beautiful relationship with him, live in harmony with him, and in, in with one another, and all of his creation. And this is this beautiful place, this cosmos, this universe, this world, um, is kind of the temple in which we're to enjoy, enjoy a relationship with him. And so, um, I mean, in, in those chapters, in verse one and two, it answers a lot of big questions in life, big questions that we're trying to, to figure out is, is do, does my life have value and meaning? Am I an accident? Or was there intention to my life? Do I have purpose? Do I have a mission? Um, do I have an identity? All of those things are beginning to be laid down as a foundation for us in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. And it, it's, it's a rock solid, as Aaron said, it's a rock solid identity and relationship with God, not one that, that um, gets blown around by the circumstances of life. Genesis chapter three is where it begins to turn. And yet in chapter three, we learn a lot of um, answers and get some understanding on some other big questions of life. Like, you know, why is it that this world is, you know, contains such beauty and at the same time, such evil? How, 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 how does that happen? I mean, if God is good and he's all powerful, then why is he allowing evil to exist? You know, why is there this pain that we experience you know, personally and we see around us? Why is there injustice and, and th that don't seem to match the character of God? Why is he allowing this to happen? Now, Moses is writing this in the desert with the children of Israel just after they left um, 400 years in Egypt. In a big chunk of that time, they were slaves in Egypt. And so they had to be asking, why would a good God allow us to be enslaved? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And so in Genesis chapter three, we begin getting an understanding of what happened and why this beautiful creation of God has, has been put on tilt. And, and there's, there's evil along with beauty. And um, we start to understand it. Now, um, there's a woman named um, Beatrice Webb. You probably haven't heard of her, but she actually has a, a really big impact on the British welfare system. She was kind of the architect of it. Her and her husband began um, London School of Economics. She lived, um, you know, early 1900s, um, late 1800s. And uh, so she was a big influencer in, in um, Britain. And she, she kept a diary. And she kept it for decades. And one day she was going back into decades past and reading her diary. And then she wrote a new entry into her diary. And, and remember, she's a socialist. She's an activist. And she helped shape the, the modern British welfare system. And this is what she says. In my diary in 1890, I wrote, I have staked everything on the essential goodness of human nature. Now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in us and how little they seem to change, like greed for wealth and power and how mere social machinery will never change that. We must ask, we, we must ask better things from human nature, but, we will get, but will we get a response? 
No amount of science or knowledge has been of any avail. And unless we curb the bad, bad impulse, how will we get better social institutions? And so she's asking, she's making an, an observation in life and she's changed her perspective on humanity to be, you know, that the, there's, this, there's this bent in all humanity to be selfish and to be greedy. And um, how do we overcome that? Education hasn't overcome it. Um, social institutions hasn't overcome it. And so what's the answer? And she doesn't have one. But Genesis 3 starts to give us an understanding and some hope regarding it. And so that's what we're jumping into right now. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now the serpent, we know, was actually Satan. And, um, you know, snakes are not Satan, but um, Satan... Uh, embodied this serpent in order to communicate with Eve on this occasion, okay? And so we know that it was Satan because of Revelation 12, 19, or 12, 9, Revelation 22, Romans 16, 20, all make it clear that in the, in the Garden of Eden, the temptation brought to Eve was from Satan, okay? Now, two, um, the word Satan means to oppose as an adversary, and that's what he's doing. He's opposing this beautiful creation of God that is now in order and harmony, and he's attempting to bring chaos to it. All right, and so um, verse one goes on to say, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And her response should be a uh, no, but she doesn't quite respond that way. She, re she responds some that way, but um, what's happening is Satan is trying to influence her. And so he, he, he takes some things that are true and then he, he um, manipulates them. So he goes, seriously? God said don't eat of these trees? And God didn't say that. God said don't eat of one of these trees. You can have all the rest. But just, but just trust me and don't eat from this one. And so he's beginning to manipulate. And, he, and where it says, um, um, where does it say? Did God actually say? Um, that phrase in our vernacular would be, seriously? Are you kidding me? You're serious right now. God said you can't eat of this thing? I mean, I, under I understand murder, you know, how that would be bad. But eating fruit? You, you kidding me? And that's what he's coming at her. And, and what he's doing is he's without making an argument or a, a, a reasoned position or proposition, he's just saying something in a way that is starting to undermine her attitude towards God. All right, and so here's the, the, the first thing we're getting out of this is that we get separated from God when we lose our right attitude towards God. He's going, I mean, this is ridiculous. This is laughable that God would tell you this. You know, and a lot of times in, in, I think of over the years in conversations I've had with people who, you know, they're friends or a bi building a relationship with them and we're talking about, you know, their spiritual journey and, if, and if, they, if they're just not interested, they might, and they find out that I'm um, a Christian or a pastor, which I try to avoid like the plague, um, letting people know that because usually the conversation ends really awkwardly then. It's like, oh yeah, I, I knew somebody went to church once. 
You know, I was like, okay, that's wonderful. Um, but it gets real uncomfortable. But, the, but more than a thing of, uh, hey, this is why I don't believe in God, or this is why I'm choosing not to believe in God, um, the response is, seriously. It's like, I'm not doing that, but it's kind of shocking that you are. I mean, I, you know, I kind of know who you are a little bit, and I kind of like you, and I can't believe that a logical human being would believe that. And what they're not, they're not making a reasoned argument. What they're doing is they're making an emotional response that's to undermine my faith. And that's what Satan is doing to Eve. He's going, seriously, you believe that? He told you what? And it's undermining her basic um, attitude towards God. And the woman said, verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit. So that's good. She's correcting one thing there that he said that was misleading. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then here's where she starts tipping her hand that she's being influenced. She says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God never said don't touch it. God said, just don't eat of this one tree. And she now is beginning to be manipulated by Satan to where she is starting to think, maybe God isn't completely good and trustworthy. Maybe he is you know, asking some things in us that you know, aren't the best for us. And so she does that by, by just insinuating, you know, trusting God is harder than you think. And she says, you know, we, we can't even touch this stuff. That's not true. But she's, she's making God to be someone maybe not worth trusting. And so Satan is getting under her attitudes, under her emotions towards God, knowing if he can undermine that, he can undermine her life of trusting and following God. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Because she said, you know, don't, don't eat or don't touch or you'll surely die. And he's going, no, you won't. Like, look at you. You're young, you're healthy, you're fit. There's just no way. You're not going to die. It's not like you took a bite out of this fruit and all of a sudden you're just going to drop dead. That's not going to happen. And again, he's misrepresenting God because God said, hey, if you do this um, and you don't trust me, then death is going to become a reality. Something that you haven't experienced, something that... Right now, you don't have to experience the consequences of. It will become one of the consequences of not trusting me is that things will die, and eventually you'll die. And so Satan, again, is misrepresenting, going, oh, that's, that's, that's silly, what he just said. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, misrepresenting the character of God. Um, what did God do? God created them to be in his own image. Of all creation, they would, be, they would be able to have more of an insight and grasp who God is. They have more of an opportunity to become more and more like God in his character. And even today, after the fall, one of the promises he gives us is, um, you trust in me, I will begin transforming your heart and your mind so that you can see the world and see other people the way I see them. And Satan's going, no, 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 no. He's trying to keep you. 
He'd be jealous of you if you disobeyed him because all of a sudden you'll know things that he doesn't want you to know. And there's some truth in that because you'll understand good and evil until you'll be like God. Well, the truth of understanding good and evil, if you don't trust God, is um, you're gonna understand the experience of not trusting God. I mean, there, there's consequences in life for not trusting God. That there's pain and there's guilt and there's shame and there's struggles in life as a result of bad decisions that if you don't trust God, you will experience um, that you wouldn't have had to experience if you did trust God. It's like saying, okay, um, you know, the only way you can really learn in life is to do wrong. And that's one way to learn, okay? It's not, it's not the preferred way. It's like saying, okay, the, you know, the flame on top of a stove, you, that, that's hot, and that can hurt you. That could cause damage to you. And you can understand this, like, okay, uh, don't touch the flame. Or another way to do it is to turn the flame on and just say, there, hmm, what's this experience like? And you experience unbelievable pain and hurt and damage to yourself. And you have an experience you wouldn't have had, but it's not a good experience. It's not a healthy experience for you. And so that's what God's saying is I'm giving you choices to choose life and to choose health. And Satan is saying, no, 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 uh, you don't, don't trust God. Don't trust God in that. Trust yourself. I mean, who knows what's best for you more than you? And so we take God off of the authority, off of the throne in our life, and we put ourselves where only he belongs. And what's the underlying cause of that? It, it, it doesn't start with belief. It doesn't start with action. It starts with my attitude towards God. Is he trustworthy? Do I trust him or not? And Satan's saying you can't. You can't trust him. You need to take your life into your own hands. He's trying to keep you from experiences and opportunities in life that will be enriching and, enriching and fulfilling to you. And uh, so you need to own your life and, and take control of it. And it, it appeals to us. Why? Because we don't trust God's good. The only reason that is compelling to me is because I'm doubting the goodness of God. And so Satan starts to undermine it. It's like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be generous and God wants me to love people like I love myself and to think of their, their needs before my own, you know, but um, I just don't know if I have enough and uh, definitely not enough for me to feel secure. And so anything that comes my way that I earn, work hard for, I'm keeping. And so at that moment, we're thinking, what's best for me? Yeah, in general, I need to have godly principles. And I need to, in general, follow those things because I know, in general, those are good. But specifically, in my life, there are gonna be things that come my way that I know what's best for me. And so what am I saying there? I don't trust the goodness of God. I don't trust that God is good and I don't trust that he cares for me enough. And so I follow myself. And that's what, what Satan is doing and, and is trying to undermine. And um, 
Yeah, you know, I, I had this thought this week that, you know, kind of stunned me a little bit because I hadn't thought of it this way, but um, the truth is I actually believe in a lot of times that I know what's best and I know more than God. My way is better than the God of the universe. It's kind of, it's kind of exposing when I think about things that way. It's like I, I am, I'm not believing God's good. I'm believing I'm better. I'm not thinking, when I think about my choices in life and when I think, okay, here's something I know is not honoring to God, but I really want to do that anyway. I'm not thinking, hey, I'm gonna do this and my life is gonna be worse off. It's gonna become a mess. It's gonna be, it's gonna be really painful. I'm thinking my life's gonna be better off. Why? Because I think I know better than God. And I don't trust his goodness. And that undermines um, who God is, who he actually is. And I'm believing lies. And as soon as I'm believing lies and I take lies in, it, um, that evil resides in me. You know, I think about um, how many people struggle with identity issues and think poorly of themselves. And if you had a show of hands, most of us would raise our hands. I fight that. Sometimes we think, well, where did that come from? And, and we can go back and, you know, some of you, you know, grew up in abusive homes and had abusive things spoken to you. And those things um, you've taken in to where today you, you, have, you struggle thinking of yourself the way God thinks of you and, and what, how God made you. Um, because those lies are still residing in you and your parents may be dead. But where do those things came from? Did they, you know, why are you still struggling with that? Is it because your parents? No, it's because you took what your parents said and you took them in as truth. And now they reside in you. And we need to call out those lies. We need to declare what is true. And yet, um, our attitude towards God and not trusting him begins to undermine um, who he made us to be, the relationship that we are meant to enjoy together, and then it actually undermines who we are ourselves. Um, why is a moralist, is a super religious person, why are they a moralist? Because they're trying to earn the respect and love of God. If I'm good enough and I do these things the right way, maybe God will like me more. What's the underlying thinking there? They don't believe in the grace of God. That God is a gracious, loving God. An anarchist. Somebody who says, you, you can't put me under anybody's authority. Or the younger son in the, the story in the Bible of the prodigal son who goes out and says, I'm gonna do what I want, when I wanna do it, I am in control of me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat, drink today because tomorrow I may die, I'm just gonna get the most out of life I can get, I'm gonna suck the, the joy and the juice out of life that's good for me that I know best. And why is he doing that? Because he doesn't believe in the grace of God. He doesn't believe that ultimately God is good and cares about him. That's the ultimate lie. That's the lie that we get sucked into. And, uh, and that's why you and I are tempted. That's why you and I make choices to follow ourselves 
because whatever that choice is, it's a declaration that we do not believe God is really good. And he knows what's best. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for her and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband. There we go, Adam shows up. He's been there all along, but he's just been kind of standing back, hands in his pocket, going, well, I can't believe what's happening here. But he just goes along with it. And he took it and he ate. So we get, we get separated from God when our wrong attitude leads to wrong actions. You know, the, the, the beliefs are wrong. And a lot of times we just focus on the actions. But if, if we get below the actions, those are the reasons why we're doing the actions. I don't trust God. I don't think he's good. I don't think he cares about me. That, that leads to you taking things into your own hand and trusting yourself more than God. And that's what she does. And she eats. You know, in my own life, um, I don't know, you know, one of the things that I find myself doing is uh, j just ramping up my anxiety. You know, I'll, I'll be, you know, laying at night and trying to go to sleep and, and I'll be thinking about somebody I have, to, I have to talk to the next day and it's going to be a tough conversation and maybe we've been in conflict and what I'll do is I'll start rehearsing that conversation. And I'll start just thinking, how can I control this conversation to help them realize that I'm right and they're wrong? And, um, and my anxiety just starts going like this. And what's happening there is I'm believing all kinds of lies. I'm believing I can control things. I'm believing I can control how somebody else thinks and feels. I'm believing that I can turn something, if I, I, I can turn something into good that, um, like I have the ability to do that. I, I'm believing that I can handle this. And what happens as a result? My anxiety goes like this. It keeps building and keeps building. And how do I deal with that? Eventually I realize, you know, town, we've been here before. And this is not a good way to go. Because you're believing a bunch of lies. And so then I start naming the lies that I'm believing and I start confessing them to God. And then I start remembering, God, this is who you are. You're good. And you know things I don't, I don't know. You know their intentions. You know the motivations of their heart. You know where they're at. I don't know that. You're in control of all things I'm not. You see all things I don't. I can trust you with this. You're trustworthy. And Father, however this goes... I have the opportunity to love them and love you. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm crawling off the throne of my life and I'm allowing God to crawl onto the throne. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to trust him again. He's good. He's trustworthy. Do what's right. Get your heart right with him. And, and pray for, for the goodness and the welfare of the person that you're in conflict with. Love God, love them. And that lasts for, you know, 10 minutes. And then the conversation starts again. And I have to keep on surrendering. But lies want to rob me of my joy of walking with God, even in difficult times. 
and they want to rob me of, uh, of relationships that I could have with people, even going through difficult times. So why does God allow evil? He created this beautiful thing. He created this, this, this world for us to enjoy together with him in perfect harmony. And so why is he allowing this to happen? Why doesn't he just squash it? Why doesn't he just crush Satan's head? Well, that's, he does, eventually. But what he created is he created this perfect place in perfect relationship with humanity, with humanity with God and humanity with each other and humanity with the creation of God. And then he said, ultimately, for us to enjoy the, relation, the depth of relationship that I want you to enjoy with me, I give you a free will. I create you perfect but untested. And it's like, well, why is, he, why is he testing them? God's testing them to choose good. He's giving them an opportunity to choose him, to trust him, to be faithful to him. And I tell you, the, healthy, the healthiest human relationships, we have a free will to not choose and not, not be faithful to that relationship or to choose, I, I trust you and I'm faithful to you. And in those healthy relationships, it's because we've chosen to be faithful and true. And we have a depth of relationship as a result that we would not have if you were made to be in this relationship. And so God... God's choices are for us to trust him and enjoy the life he, he meant for us to have. Satan's choices are for us to not trust God and experience the pain and the consequences of turning away from him. God does not tempt us with evil. Satan does. God gives us opportunities for good. He says, trust me and enjoy it. Enjoy following me. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. Um, he was not caught by surprise when they chose not to follow him. But knowing they're not going to follow him is different than causing them not to follow him. So God knows. He, he created us with freedom to choose. And we chose poorly. And as a result, the consequences. In fact, when it says that you know, Adam ate the apple, we find out later that Adam was held responsible by, by God. And that um, the sin and the marred nature of humanity is passed on through him to all of us. It says, Eve was deceived. Adam knew exactly what was going on. And, uh, but the deal is, if we're deceived or not, if we're ignorant and do something wrong, or we're not ignorant and do something wrong, there's consequences the same for either one. If I open a bottle of medicine, I thought, oh, I thought those were mine, and I take them, and they're Kathy's, and all of a sudden I start crying all the time because they're hormones. Um, it's like, well, I just had the consequences of choosing the wrong thing, even though I thought they were mine. And so there's consequences, and there's consequences on all of humanity um, as a result. And so... Romans 5.12, it's a great chapter on this doctrine of what happened in Genesis and the fall of man. And it says in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, I mean, our, death to our relationship with God, death to um, uh, 
our trust in God and death, period. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so that man is talking about humanity. Spread to all humanity because all sinned. So we think God is, you know, that, that sin and evil is outside there, but ever since Genesis 3, it also resides in us, and we have this bent to not trust God. And when we believe more and more lies about we can't trust God, we shouldn't trust God, I should trust myself, then that becomes more embedded in me, and, and really the power of evil um, has a greater influence on me and on those around me as a result. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they, were, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so here's some of the consequences of sin. We begin to see the consequences of sin on Adam and Eve's life as a result of not trusting God. And um, one of them, I mean, really the, one of the first things that happens to them is before this, they were naked and unashamed together. After this, they were naked and ashamed and guilty. You know, I, I find it interesting that one of the first things that not trusting God leads to in our life is confusion over our sexuality. I mean, it's, it's one of the first places that God attacks Adam and Eve. It's like, I don't know, but, but for some reason, I feel really guilty for being naked in front of you. I'm not sure what this means, but I feel guilty and ashamed. And really, it's no wonder, you know, in our world today, there's so much confusion over sexuality. I mean, not trusting God leads to a broken identity in us. And so we start looking for all kinds of things to find identity. And one of those things is our sexuality. I mean, how am I to use this gift of sex that you've given me and this sexual, this, this sexual you know, body you've given me? And how am I to trust you? And how am I to see myself and find value and worth and, and we just see the ongoing confusion of that. And, and it's interesting, one of the first places that we're confused about our identity is regarding um, our sexuality. Okay, now I'm confused. Start talking about sex, and there you go. I don't know where I am. Okay. Um, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, you know, as I read that, I think, oh, how sweet is that? Man, they've been able to enjoy the presence of God in the midst of his beautiful creation. Man, and that just kind of gives a sense of peace to my soul. A sense of, wow, that, how rich is that moment? And yet because of their not trusting God, that beautiful moment has now turned into a, a thing they want to run from. It's not a good thing, but now they're fearing God. He's not good. And now maybe he's going to prove it. And so what do they do? And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And that's the rest of history that we're going to continue to read about in the book of Genesis, but we also see today is, a man, the human race in a nutshell, we're hiding from God. We think of God, we're not thinking the goodness of God, we're thinking if we believe in God, he's going to crush me. He, he's not for me. I mean, he's in control of all, but I fear him, and I don't see him as he really is. Or I don't even want to think of him, so I'm just going to deny him. I'm going to deny there's a God because that would have an impact on how I want to live. 
And so we hide. We hide from each other. My identity is messed up. I'm, I'm struggling with having confidence in who I am. And so uh, what am I going to do? I'm either going to be arrogant and just put on this face of, hey, I'm, I'm solid. That makes me better than most people in the world because most people are, are you know, not confident in themselves. I am. And I'm just putting my trust in myself and I'm, I'm, I'm lying to myself and I'm probably having consequences to relationships with other people as a result of my arrogance. And I'm hurting what God wants me to have. Or I'm just crushed and I, just, I, I, am, I have no value and worth and so I'm hiding behind a mask and I don't want you to know the real me because you won't like me either. And so we hide. We hide from God, we hide from each other. We just hide. But here's, uh, you know, they, they, they get booted out of the garden. They, um, they miss being in the ruin, the most beautiful place on earth, created for them to enjoy God. They um, are experiencing the consequences of sin, like guilt and shame. But here's the biggest thing. The biggest consequence of not trusting God is losing living in his presence. That's the biggest consequence. The rest of Genesis, you'll hear people of God long to be made right with God. They're not longing to go, hey, I, I, would, I would give anything to get back and have such a, the riches of the Garden of Eden. Man, that would be the best place. And I can have the best stuff because the best things that God has are offered there. Give me all that stuff. Never do you hear that. What you hear is, I've been made for a relationship with God and I'm separated from him. I, I want to be back with God. I long for the rest and the peace and the comfort of his presence. And that's what was lost. Here's the beginning of hope. Verse nine. And the Lord God called me, or called to the man, and said to him, where are you? Now God, does, God knows where they are. He's not going, you guys are the best hide and seekers I have ever known. I just can't find you anywhere. No, he knows exactly where they are, but what's he doing? He's reaching out to them. And he's saying, Satan's convinced you that I don't love you, that I'm not good, and that I don't care. And here you are, you've turned your back on me. And so your nature now is to hide from me, but my nature is to seek you. I love you and I care and I always have, and that's not changing. Where are you? I mean, that's the goodness of God. I mean, God said, I'm gonna seek you so much that I'm gonna become man and I'm going to give my life wrapped in humanity to be crushed on a cross so that I can pay the price for the sins of the world so that you can be forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God. Is that a bad God? Is that a God that you shouldn't trust? Is that a God who doesn't care about you? No. And yet in this is this bent. I think I need to control my life because that's gonna give me life. And in reality, it's a lie. 
that undermines, that is undermined by our belief that God is not good and he doesn't care. He is good and he does care. And Lord, help us to repent of our mistrust. When you're facing choices this week or you faced choices last week and you chose, you know you chose to do something that is not honoring to God. It's not about that moment and your options. It's about your underlying mistrust that God is good. Do you believe God's good? He gives us opportunities every day to choose to trust him and enjoy life in his presence. You see, Adam and Eve were struggling. They were struggling in the garden about the commands of a tree. Fast forward, and Jesus was in a garden, and he was struggling about the commands about a tree. God said to Adam and Eve, um, there's one tree, I want you to trust me. And just, if you trust me, man, you're gonna, you're gonna enjoy life as you are meant to enjoy it. And they didn't trust him. And, God, and Jesus was in a garden, the garden of Gethsemane, on a dark night, and he was struggling. Because he knew that he was about to climb onto a tree, a cross, and experience the sins of the world on him. And he's gonna be separated from his father, all because he's taken our place. And God said, I've given you a command about that tree. Now follow me and be crushed. And Jesus followed him. He trusted him. I mean, Adam and Eve took God off the throne of their life and they climbed onto the throne. And Jesus took us off of the tree and put himself on it to pay for the consequences of our sin and rebelliousness against God so that he would turn that tree of death into life for us and offer forgiveness. Because why? Because God's trustworthy. He's good and he cares. So let's just take a moment. Let's bow our heads. And I just want you in this moment um, to respond to God and to see the decisions that uh, God gives you in life as opportunities to follow him and to trust him and to enjoy the goodness of life that he meant for you to have. And how making decisions for ourselves that are opposed to his ways um, is not about me taking advantage of my options. It's about me trusting the goodness of God. And for some, there might be a, a point where you realize that, you know what, I, I need to trust God because I have not in my life, and I turn to him and I need to recognize that he 
is the one that I, I need to trust and follow. And if that's you, then you might um, just talk to God right now and pray something like, God, I know that you have been pursuing me, that you've been saying, where are you? And, um, and I, I sent you in that search for me to turn to you. And so God, today I, I recognize that you are good and you are trustworthy. And I place my trust and my hope in you. And I recognize that you have made a way for me to be forgiven and returned into a relationship that you created me to have. And that's a relationship with you. So I ask for forgiveness. I thank you for never giving up on me. And Father, as I, I begin walking in life, help me to realize how good you are and just uh, correct the lies that I've been holding on to so I can trust you more and more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, if you prayed along with me today, um, I, I'd like just to direct you, as soon as we're done, go out into the middle um, table there and just let them know, hey, I prayed along with Bill today. And they have um, a sheet of information for you that just says, okay, now in this journey with God, how, how do you... How do you begin growing with him? How do you begin developing this, this new relationship with him? And so we give you some just simple practical ideas. Um, my, my guess is there's gonna be a couple in there that resonate with you. And so that will help you in your journey. And if you're watching online, um, thanks for tuning in. And, and if you prayed along with me, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. Give us your information. We wanna get that information to you as well. And so tell us how to do that and we will get that um, to you as well. Uh, just thank you for being here and we are going to continue uh, worshiping God and getting our, our focus on his faithfulness as we sing together.